Like I said, I warn you, I'm not going to be very animated today. Of course not. You're very three-dimensional. Shut up, Dad. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. I am hurt. Stop making dad jokes. <laughs> uh, bad uncle jokes. Bad Uncle has a different connotation. Uh, okay. oh, I, well, I mean, no. Bad no, Uncle's usually the no. perverted ones, so no, I suppose. Yeah, exactly no, right. No, oh, no, 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 no. of Fangs and Fonts. I am your host, Voice. I'm Roland. And I'm Ocean. We have no Yanara today, as she is currently playing with Clay. What shall we talk about today, folks? Revisiting or reimagining of our first episode? or It's, it's a topic we've talked on before. We started the podcast with talking about furry and writing, and we've touched on it before, and Certain things have brought it back up lately amongst discussions, and so we thought we'd have a bit of a refresher and talk about, you know, what does it mean to write furry? Why do we write furry? And to what extent that is, is there boundaries to what that means, what your characters have to be or can't be or should be or what your story has to explain or your world building? Are there rules about this? I don't know. Let's find out. So I want to just start out, and I think we've asked this before, but again, I forget. What what really, what was your first introduction to anthropomorphic characters in a story or a movie or media? Disney's Robin Hood, the Fox one. Disney. Disney. Anything else? Um, Sonic the Hedgehog, the cartoon with Sally Acorn. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I like how you. I wonder if you liked it. You were just like Sonic the Oh, good. And then he says, and then he specifically I, I think you picks out say, one character from there, and it's just I, like, I'm giving you the side eye. I, I think you meant to say for Sally Acorn. <laughs> just because I collected the comics religiously for like three years. As you were figuring you like the up story. The story. <laughs> yeah. story. Not. Um, well, I mentioned before, I actually went into the Sonic fandom right the Sonic furry fandom writing back in the day. But um, I was actually thinking about that a couple days ago. But uh, Secret of Nim. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not hidden knowledge, but Mrs. Brisby was my first actual crush. And then on top of all those, we still have things like Redwall, uh, Animorphs, Digimon... Well, what, what were yours? This is those are mine. Okay, like there you I, go. I had Disney movies like like Great Mouse Detective. Um, That's a good one. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So they're <clears throat> turtle anthropomorphs. Uh, Looney Tunes. Uh, a lot of the cartoons in that. Was... Uh, Five Goes West. Tiny yeah. Tunes. Okay. Yeah, Tiny Tunes. Lots of stuff. I want to take those and immediately let. Ask the question about each one. Which of those are zipper backs? So Robin Hood. 
<laughs> that's what I'm actually thinking about. Since that's the first one. Because I was, I was immediately going to say, well, in that case, it no, not? it's not. But then thinking why, why about it. Why isn't it? The thing, no, but it. That one elephant uses its horn once or yeah, twice. Yeah, the snake, I think, crawls around somebody at one time. But I mean, hypnotizes, like, oh, but yeah, generally, okay. but generally, yeah. hypnotizing a snake. It's almost like you've taken a human story and put different costumes over each of the furry like, animals. You know, let, let's. And, and reproduced it or let's, something. Let's consider, like, Robin Hood the character. He doesn't do anything actually foxy. He's crafty and cunning? Uh, I mean, the, mou- the mice are mouse sized. They're Which is odd because not all the other animals are to scale, are they? The vultures are. They're kind of the, the same. The elephants size? and the rhinos that, that and is the a hippos giant are large thing compared to everybody else. So, oh yeah, he's the same size as a freaking barrel and a lion. Yeah, like it seems to depend on what characters they were, but the main characters were all very human-like. Yeah. So, okay, we're are we slotting that into the zipper bag? Well, I'm like. Compare it to Zootopia, uh, say. Zootopia yeah, okay, is significantly Zootopia, we... less zipper back than it's. It's kind Robin of a mixed bag with things like Robin Hood, because. Well, I just I just want to go through the list. Like next, you said Sonic. Sonic is very zipper back. Like they're they're forest animals. I don't think I hedgehogs. I don't know. Animals, Sonic, I don't know Sonic but... curls up into a ball that's yeah, pretty yeah. hedgehog like. You know how fast hedgehogs uh, are. Tails, <laughs> tails flies through the, the air. The he has two tails. Two I see that in nature all the time. Again, like I think that's a zipper bag. Uh, like Fifel goes west. That one actually, I think, is much more anthropomorphic. Yeah, because they yeah, they're very much mice. It's it's just a mouse society amongst humans, right? Yeah, which is kind of a classic trope. Like, and if I bring up the one that I said before was um, a mouse on Baker Street, same thing basically. Yeah. The Secret of Nim, I can't remember, is that... Secret of Nim is very actually Secret of Nim is probably the least zipper back out of all of them because. It's they're intelligent mice. That's they're they've been experimented on. They know how to. That's how they know. Well, rats. Sorry, rats. I don't think I've actually seen the secret in them. I think I gotta admit that it's like they they don't get ant, like they run like mice. Um, the rats are the ones who were most intelligent, and yeah, they have swords, knives. They understand pulley systems, but they're all mouse and rat sized. They understand pulley systems because they were genetically engineered rats. Yes. By a mental health hospital. <clears throat> so what else do we have on the list? Animorphs? I don't know if I consider animorphs furry. Uh, the animals in it are not anthropomorphic. I guess unless you want to talk no, about aliens. No, but do they but... have to be anthropomorphic? And this goes back to the... I don't know how that classifies something as furry. But this goes back to the entire question that we've had before where it's... The classification of what is furry and such, because everyone has a different thing that's in the fandom. Because I mean, for example, you were talking about the quote-unquote anthropomorphized spiders that are anthropomorphized by the virtue of the fact that you can understand them. Yeah, not that they're people spiders. Well, that's like Watership <clears throat> Down. Watership Down, to my knowledge, I've I haven't actually watched the movie or read the book. But they, to my knowledge, they are rabbits that you understand. They don't really do anything else other than be rabbits and organize. Is that the same kind of complaint for Redwall? That Red, they're animals, but they kind of have their own society and there's prejudices and stereotypes in it? Is, is they do in Redwall. The things that 
but they also have their society. They build their houses. They mm-hmm. have cities. They have. What's what's their purpose for existing? Is there any reason like there were experiments? The world has just always been like this. Right? The world okay. has always been like that. That's just the world of um, the animals in the forest. Though I will say the main thing that bugs me about Redwall is the size inconsistency. Because you'll read a story where it's a mouse facing off against a bobcat. And you would, like, initially there's a huge difference. But then as you go in the story, it's like the bobcat's changing sizes continually. And you're like, well, why? Like, are you not keeping this in mind that a bobcat is bobcat-sized? Okay, so what else? What else? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I... On one hand, I think you could just say they're zipper bags that use the turtle motif very well. I think it depends on the character. It's it's this is this is uh, this is another good one, I guess, because you could ask questions about all of these. Is that okay? In one sense, you've got turtles, you've got an origin story. Um, they use the turtle, you know, they do moves with turtles and stuff like yeah. that. But and not to mention, you've got other animals. You've got a rat. You've got a boar, etc. But at the same time, does it have to be turtles? Could you not switch their species into some other sort of reptile, animal, whatever, and just change the motif and the jokes? Yeah. So but does I, that make it... How does that align on the spectrum? Well, and this goes back to what our first episode, and I think a couple times we've touched on it before, where your animal should have a purpose. Mm-hmm. The reason you chose the animals, even if it's for region-specific, should have a purpose. Redwall very much as a purpose Seeker and him very much as a purpose Disney's Robin Hood not so much Disney's Lion King very much very much and that's the thing there is there has to be a reason for the species Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles you're absolutely right if you changed out the turtles and replaced them with you could still have a bunch of Teenage Mutant Animal Crime Fighter Ninjas look at how often probably still be great it just wouldn't be turtles and if we didn't know better then well look at how often they get made fun of where people have switched like these mutant ninja newts or whatever and (laughs) it's like oh wow nothing has changed so the reason why I'm starting it this way and asking this is because I kind of want to throw things that we we as we as people in the fandom and people who enjoy this kind of stuff um just throw it on the spectrum, like like Looney Tunes. I don't think are Looney Tunes very furry, or are they more zipper back? I would say they're more zipper back. Um, I mean, how often does Daffy act like Daffy? You know, they make jokes about ducks. Duck and rabbit hunting. Bugs Bunny talks about eating carrots and yeah, Elmer. And he burrows. Yeah. Like compare that to um, is it Yojimbo, the the rabbit samurai? Yeah. <clears throat> I, I don't know his origin story, but, like, he's more anthropomorphic, right? I would say so, yeah. What about, ro- you know, Rocket Raccoon right now? <laughs> well, he's an alien. Exactly. <laughs> but again, yeah, he's essentially, Egypt, that's it, yeah. he's essentially just a zipper back because he's a short person with guns. He can be replaced with anything. The only thing that's different is... The raccoon jokes, and quite frankly, you could be like... But he has a creation story. He has an origin, right? Yeah. He's dating an otter. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make it anymore. <laughs> I, don't I don't know where know. you're going with that one. But mostly, I'm just going like, look, these are the things that we look to as the things that, that got us interested, as inspirations, as 
as, you know, nostalgia pieces and throwing it on the spectrum uh, that we are judged ourselves of our own stories and whether they fit the, our own genre and that. So I just want to want to put that kind of form a baseline and put that in the back of our heads as we go through and discuss this. Because that's a very valid point, is if anyone had written any of those and submitted them as stories for a publication and they got published, what would the reviewers say? Or and if you're an editor and you want something that's very specifically, I want things to matter in the story yeah. with these characters, um, what 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 can you do to to try to give more impact to your characters, give more impact to your choices? Which I think goes back again to what our first episode was about. Yeah. Was if I'm going to use a cat, why am I using a cat versus a fox or a wolf or a bull? Well, and it's very much a case of one of the stories I have in the upcoming sci-fi horror anthology. When I sent my edits back, I said, you know, you're writing essentially human characters. I need you to put some animal characteristics in there because out of all of them, there's only one character you do a lot for. and It's because they're avian and beautifully done. And when I got the edits back, they were all fixed. But it's very much like, say, Disney's Robin Hood for that case, where it's, you know, the swish of a tail or, oh, Robin's interested, so his ears are perked up and he's looking around. And it's nice touches that remind you that they're animal people, but at the same point, yeah, they're technically still zipper backs. It's. So, what about the Devin Lee stories? Kyle stories? I mean, there's a lot of things in Kyle's stories that have to do with the. You know, the movement of a person's ears or their smell or their taste. A lot of it is paid he definitely attention to. Sorry. They, a lot of the things, like the things that he quote-unquote demonstrates with his facial expressions, ear flicks, and like nose wrinkles, etc., convey a lot more information that is humanly possible or under many circumstances, I would think. But uh, sorry, you were going to say something? Well, I, I think he really does bring about the the deepest characteristics he can using those species, right? Like you said, ear, ear flicks, smells, tastes. Yeah. The way that he even in talks about how uh, Kyle, Kyle's always paid a good amount of attention to yeah those features. How canines are different than than uh, you know felines and different other species on top of that, and how they would interact and their species and that. But there's. And the, no origin story. There's no reason for the world to be animals other than he wants mm. to write a story about animals, right? I mean, and I've, we've talked about that before. You certainly don't need an origin story for mm-hmm. for anything like that. When it's pointless, we always tell people not to start with like the whole it was a dark and gloomy night, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and then go through pages and pages of... Um, Exposition. Exposition. Mm-hmm. And just start the story where it starts, and that's what you're doing if you don't explain an entire world well, you see, of people. three million years ago, when the universe was first created in the big smash. Like, I don't... <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> like... <laughs> like... We already know you're writing a story about furry, and the only time when that even kind of matters is when somebody's reading a story about animal people going, why are there animal people, but that really only has one response, and it's because the story calls for it. But does the story call for it? I say the story calls for it. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, so long as you execute it well, people question it less, and you have to justify it less. Well, and that goes back to the whole thing of, like, is there'll be, again, going back to the science fiction horror thing, there are stories that are submitted where the only thing you get about why there's animal people is because they were uplifted. And it's for exploration purposes. Uh, uplifted is an origin story. Yeah, and it's just in that one statement, done. All explanation, done. Which is You just go, very since nice. the uplifting. Yeah, and, and I, I don't think people realize that even just something so small can mean so much to the existence of your character. While there's also other stories that have been submitted where, yeah, they're animal people because they're animal people. Because the publisher is wanting... Pu- furry story, so I have to put furry characters in it. Yes. Which kind of goes to the interesting thing where given the Neko anthology that I'm getting the calls for now where it's, the only requirement is is you had to have a Neko character and the amount of people who are like, oh, awesome, humans and cat people. But there are those that came in and said, can I have like furries and it's like well yes as long as you explain why you have furries in your story furries and echoes yes why you're expecting both yeah and the thing is is, and i'm perfectly okay with that as long as you explain why you have people who are fully anthropomorphized and people who just have cat ears and cat tails and cat-like structures like pointed teeth and slitted eyes because that is actually a little bit stranger and harder to do than having humans and furries, which again is its own thing. Hmm. So, is it more a thing of just pandering to the small niche instead of pandering to a larger audience? I think that's part of it. I think we as furry writers, depending on what we're writing, when we're submitting something for publication in the furry fandom, we do just go, it's a furry story because Mm -hmm. this is what I'm submitting to, this is what I'm going for. And you don't have a lot of editors going, you need to explain why you have furry characters to me. Which is okay. We are a fandom for fans of anthropomorphic animals. There is nothing wrong with writing stories that have furry animals in it because that's what we want. Mm-hmm. Then why are we having reviews and criticism about this? Well, even we ourselves have kind of criticized it ourselves. And we have, because we've said in the past that your story must have a reason why... You're... We, we've had many arguments with people about why we think species should count. And I think, me personally, I still think species should count. I don't you don't necessarily always have to have a count, but I still think it's something you should at least consider. <laughs> yeah, it's something that should cross your mind. They don't have to necessarily make a sense. I mean, I find it more weird to have like a story about anthropomorphic mammals and then have reptile characters, or a reptile character, or an avian character. Especially something like avians, or insects, or arachnids. Okay, well, that's a little bit harder to justify unless you're doing specifically an entire story about that sect of species. So let me tell you an example for for your horror anthology. Mm-hmm. And I've told you, so we'll pretend that I haven't, so this story makes sense. 
um, I got to sit in on a writing class that one of the authors who submitted to your anthology uh, submitted their story for review of the writing class. And, of course, the writing class was a, was a university-taught class, so um, it was not furry-based in any way. And they've written... So they've written their own story, and the first question that everyone asked was, you know, why is this... Why are they... Why are the people animals? What... I, what, what is the point of it? Like, why, why did you write this with animals versus just normal people? And the author's answer was, well, because I'm submitting it to a furry mm-hmm. publication. And so this is more of the guidelines. And so there was a bit of talk about ways that you could use species to incorporate the f- themes of fear and xenophobia and whatever else that they had in the story. But it was really interesting that that was the first question they asked. I was like, why? What, what's the point of this? Well, and that goes into an insider view versus the outsider view. Um, because outsiders won't necessarily immediately pick up on why is it that way. Well, it's because that's what I'm submitting to. That's what it is. That's just what's expected. You have, like, how many non-anthropomorphized books do we have for sale in the fandom? I can think of one. And actually, it has a wolf in it, and it's a cow gold one, so I'm assuming that it has some kind of anthropomorphizing in it. But, but not everything that's in main media has has a purpose for any of their, their animal characters. No. Like, again, go back to Robin Hood. There's... Yeah. Nobody, nobody questions it. <laughs> well, exactly. does, does anyone actually stop and question, or is it just because it's targeted for a younger audience? Well, I think that's part of the whole cartoon thing. But then I, I can then take it and go, what about BoJack Horseman? What, yeah. what is the point of anthropomizing animals in that series other than for the jokes? Well, the same thing happens in Brickleberry. You yeah. have an anthropomorphic baby bear when all the other bears do not walk on hind legs and talk like people. Only this one oh, yeah. character <laughs> does. Why? Well, it's just for the comedy aspect. Brian the dog. Mm-hmm. He is the only walking, talking dog in that... Well, except for the Italian dog, but... <laughs> <laughs> to my knowledge, he's the only, they're the only walking, talking dogs in there. Well, why? What, what's the explanation? Is, do they have an explanation why they have? No. Like, it's and Bojack, again, they, I don't think there's any explanation as to why half the world seems to be animal characters. Yeah. And they still have normal animals, still. Yeah. So... Is it furry? Like, is this acceptable? Why, why, why are they able to be? Why does no one question that? But if you had written a story and tried to publish it, probably in something in the same vein, and say Bojack Horseman never existed, yeah. you wrote your own story about this washed-up TV actor who was a horse in a world that's half people, half horse. Do you think you'd have a lot of people going like, oh, this is fantastic, or you'd have a bunch of people going like, why are they horses? I think outside the fandom, you would definitely have why are they horses, cats, dogs, etc. Inside the fandom... But I mean, outside, why? I, I personally have not heard anyone go, why is Bojack Horseman a horse? Have you? No. But I think no. it's just the case of... <laughs> Visual media, I think, is a little bit different. Is because than it's a cartoon, material. then, so they get a pass. I think that's the case. Okay, so but if it's a book, everyone's going to start questioning. It? I think if it's a book, it's it also it. could be the BoJack 
The Horseman is very largely like satire. As yeah, well. because it's comedy. It satire gets away with a lot. Yeah. Uh, same with comedy, and actually, same with the visual medium. I would think. I and understand you, the visual medium. You have medium, to spend a lot less time justifying it because people look at it, go, "Oh, that's what it looks like," as opposed to reading a book and they're like, "Well, I read this description and this description, but why are the animal people? Wouldn't it just be easier to make them well, human?" I think it's a case of the uh, sense of disbelief. Suspension of disbelief. There we go. It's like comic books. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, the, Hulk, was the, the Hulk lifted up a mountain range. Scientifically impossible. But he does in the comics. Who questions it? Hardcore science people. Or people who are just reading too far into it. But then that said, you put it into a novel. As soon as you mention that. But in, you, you can... What, what is a novel but not just a whole set of... Suspension of disbelief from from cover to cover. Well, and that's but <laughs> unless, the, unless it's a piece of nonfiction. That's but, the point of fiction yeah. is suspending your disbelief. But your skill as a writer depends on how often they take their, that sense of disbelief, and it comes down and they stop believing. If you can have them lift that up and keep it lifted through the whole story, whole novel, whatever, you've succeeded. As soon as they stop and question it then you haven't succeeded as an author. You've done something wrong or there's something in the way that they're thinking that doesn't match with what you're writing. But why, think, are they, why are they questioning it then to be in the beginning? I think it just depends on what they're used to. And so, this goes back to the furry versus non-furry is with furry writers, mm-hmm. we're used to it. Okay, so if they pick up your anthology, my anthology, any other anthology... Mm-hmm. Is it their own expectations that they're setting themselves up to fail if they if they find that the furry is not up to adequateness? Because I, as the editor, or you as the editor, whoever edited whatever anthology, felt that their level of what makes a furry story is different than mine. I think they're set. Is that just tough luck then? Because I think in that case it might be is because everyone has an expectation of where furries. Because there's people in there who is. They don't care if you have tail flicks, earwigs, whatnot. That's all personal preference. Oh, yeah. We, we, we know there are the people that are just like, that's an otter and that's all that I care about. He doesn't have to do anything otter at all, just that I know he's an otter. Yeah. Yay, furry. And then I think you get up to our level where it's like, just, just make the tail move, please. Yeah. Like, okay, good. He ate a fish. Fine. <laughs> Whatever. He likes sushi. Haha, <laughs> adorable. And then you've got like... <laughs> And things like you can move up the chain where it's like, well, now we need an origin story, or now they have they a have house be, with pools, and yeah. yeah, let's explain why there's pools, and then or you got like I guess next would be something like Zootopia, yeah, and then after that, I think you start getting something more like science fiction, fantasy, either God created this species and they've always lived on the earth, or we've technologically marveled, or it's an alien, right? Yeah, like you kind of have again. I start seeing the spectrum the more I think about it. About like have you have you ever seen that stupid picture where it's like it's a it's a picture of a boy and then it's like ten percent furry thirty percent furry hundred yeah. percent and it's like well which stage is it actually yeah. and, and it feels kind of similar to that so well it's like have you ever seen the human werewolf furry picture it's a someone drew it on transformation TV and art no it's it's here is a human mm-hmm. and it's a guy with a backpack and whatnot. Here is a werewolf. It is a full-blown horror werewolf. Rawr, rawr, huge mane, huge furry. This is a furry wolf. And it's right smack in the dab in the middle. They didn't give him the legs of 
the werewolf, but it's very much a here's a guy, he's got furry, he looks kind of cartoony, he's got a you know hat, he's got his backpack, he looks like the student with wolfish traits, and then from there it's the werewolf. It's it's kind of a weird blending of the two. Interesting that they have a difference between anthro and furry. Yeah. I don't see a difference. Like there's, I literally don't see a difference between these two other than civilization kicked up a notch. <laughs> because the guy's gone from a spear-welding tribe um, the- of wolves to now it's, oh, it's a kid in high school. Yeah. Guess what? Humanity has the same picture. <laughs> and digigrade gra- legs. And well, the- I can't tell because he's no wearing the cargo hair. shorts. And no head hair. No, they both got head hair. I guess this one just lets the hair go forward. The other one goes back. It's more of, like, part of the wolf's mane. I'm also really annoyed how they've written furry with little f, little u, capital R, capital R, <laughs> little y, and just, like, herder. Anyway, for, for those that are curious, look up Werewolf versus Anthro versus Furry by Goldwolf. But it's kind of funny how... You know, two of those stories would be considered furry, but the furry would probably not be considered furry yeah. by some people. It's it's one of those things, and it's Golden Wolf. But yeah, it's one of those things where it's furry versus anthro. Uh, it's, it's very few differences, except for the fact that the furry is drawn in a cartoon style. Story-wise, all you're really getting difference-wise is the head hair, head fur, the digigrade legs, and... That's about it. And that, again, that goes back to personal preference. People who write with head hair, people who don't write with head hair, so on and so forth. So then why do I continue to see people with reviews complaining about furry stories that they call aren't furry? I think it's, as you said earlier, it's people who are setting themselves up for that. Whereas they have a certain expectation, a certain level of furry that they expect, and... They just, whatever reason, whatever stories aren't matching them. The question is, is point to a story that matches what you're looking for furry-wise. What what meets every single one of your requirements, and then how is that different? And I think that's where the thing is: is you people need to people with expectations like that need to sit there and go, hey, what do I need? a story to have to fit my criteria how is that different than everything that's out there that has been considered furry so then is there there no hope for you if you're releasing outside the fandom and you're not writing satire well yes <laughs> <laughs> to like and as funny as that kind of is like you look at things like Kyle Gold who has been having difficulty from what I've heard trying to push his books into media trying to find a category for it either going like there's a science fiction fantasy so they'll be like okay that's why there's animals well there's when a, we in the fandom just go yeah it's animals that's what we read and like well there's a story there's the conversation that i mentioned to you guys and i'll share it to the podcast where i was on a group of furry writers and they're more of the more getting into it stage and one of them basically was just he wants more of a professional pay rate so he wants to go outside the fandom to get that professional pay rate and write furry stories. Oh boy, is he in for a surprise. 
And this <laughs> this made me. I was sitting there thinking about it and said, you know what? Great, go for it. You could do it. You could do you it. Can. I mean, Kyle Gold's had some success with it, and others have. But then, at what point are you writing furry stories? At what point are you writing science fiction or fantasy stories with anthropomorphic characters? Because I mean, if you consider the stuff that you write for the fandom, you're already selling to your target demographic. If you try to take that outside the fandom, who are you truly si- trying to sell to? Well, and that's exactly it. Is I was thinking about you okay, need to make it applicable to everyone. You look like MCA Hogarth, who <laughs> says she doesn't sell well in the fandom, even though it should be targeted straight for them. Like she, she's basically going, well, here are my books, and whoever's going to read them will read them and enjoy ex- them. I don't need to target specifically this market. But. We've, we've experienced, though, that like there are very different ways the people outside the fandom write versus people inside the fandom mm-hmm. when it comes to writing fandom material. Well, and that goes, I've written outside the fandom, and there are stories where if I have an anthropomorphic character in it, which is few and far between... Um, perfect example is one of my for Blood and Roses I wrote a story where the main character is a kitsune and the other one's a shape-shifting spider and it's the way that I wrote that compared to the way I write furry stuff is night and day because there are things that a writer or a reader outside the fandom is looking for that furry writers don't really care about are furry readers, but at the same point, there are things that furry readers will look for that I'm not including purposely in this story. And this goes back into my favorite topic of, you know, classifying things as furry outside of the furry fandom. Works that are furry, that we consider furry, that we've put into the furry umbrella when they were written outside the fandom. That's okay and all, but what makes them furry and quite frankly if someone were to write that in the fandom and publish it there's a good chance that they're going to end up getting the same reviews that all the story that stories that we're producing in the fandom are getting if not worse i mean what about you two if you guys go we're going to write a story with anthropomorphic characters outside the fandom would you change anything it depends on the story like if i so i've, I've i feel i've written across the spectrum you know, I've I've done the stories that even I myself kind of detest, where it's like, I'm writing for a furry anthology, you're a cat, you're a dog. I'll use them in some way so that I can make a little bit of, make a joke about it or something, right? And then I've had the ones where, like, these animals exist because this happened and this is how their story came about. If I was to write the, the, the one side where it's just, I put cat face paint on one of them, like I have trouble writing that myself for the furry fandom. I don't mm-hmm. think I'm going to chuck that out to the to the mainstream because the mainstream doesn't have that requirement that I have to put that face paint on. If I'm going to write something on the further end of the spectrum, then I feel it's easier for anyone to read and understand. So I, if I'm going to write outside of the bubble, if we're going to use that again, is is I, I, I want it to have purpose. Like, it's, again, going back to your story, you want it to have purpose. Like, things that you have, all the words should have purpose, the characters, the reason that you're putting these things. So why am I just putting a fluff detail in there, you know? Well, I, I think you get a lot of leeway for writing furry for the furry fandom, as opposed to if you're... It, there's also an expectation of what happens in a furry story. 
things like setting, um, characters, what's allowed, what isn't, what's acceptable, versus if you're going outside the fandom, there's not necessarily more restrictions, but you have to consider a people's level of understanding of what you're writing about, which, you know, maybe means fewer furry characters, maybe less of a world that's fully populated by furry characters, and maybe just have a few important essential characters. Um, you know, freak accident, got turned into a cat person, science, <laughs> uh, augmentations, etc. These are very common tropes outside the fandom in science fiction books and things that would normally justify these kinds of characters and species. So that's the kind of thing I would write as opposed to my typical furry story, which would go into, like, heat. I want... If anyone's listening, I want... If, if anyone can tell me uh, uses of anthropomorphics in a non-satirical, non-family-friendly or chick-kid-oriented and even possible non-animated uh, media source. I'd be interested in knowing that. Just because I'm sure there's they're out there, and I probably have seen them myself, but I just can't think of them off the top of my head. Well, the, the two that come to mind for me is you have Wing Commander and you have the Mankazin Wars. Mm-hmm. Why space cats? They're aliens. Standard alien tropes are anthropomorphic something. And suddenly aliens. We definitely have to anthropomorphs anthropomorphize aliens that's for sure um i was actually just thinking one of the stories that has gotten the best compliments that i've ever written in the fandom was rich kid in the now no longer available futural horizons virtual horizons virtual this the rf cyberpunk book the thing about that story is it is probably the least furry story I've ever written. All but one of the characters is a furry. Or is are all human or something else. One character is a furry, genetically modified human into a wolf furry. The other character is a cybernetic boy who uses holograms to appear like an anthropomorphic animal. And the other one's a prehistoric ape. And it's just, but that story got the most compliments I've ever had on any of my stories. And it's one of my favorite pieces. The thing is, though, is it's probably the only story I've written in the fandom that could also have easily been published outside. What about yourself, though, when you're editing and writing? Do you have a place on the spectrum you prefer? If I'm writing, like, furry? Well, I guess, yeah. If I'm writing furry, there is. I mean, I like having the ear movements growls, snarls, teeth snapping, you know, what if you're a predator, don't bury your teeth because that's a sign of aggression, tail wags, tail flicks, all that. But generally, other than I'd like to see species that have a purpose, that's about as far as I'm willing to go. I might, I mean, I like technology that fits the creatures. When I, um, as I mentioned at some point, um, windfall, one of the, my favorite things about Temp's book was the various technological things that he put in that book to basically go for the fact that they were animal people, like the wolf slash dog app that basically allows them to take care of their animal instincts of just barking and howling at each other. I, I realized another point that I was thinking is that 
um, species use doesn't always have to be, you know, the physical manifestations of what they do, but you can also use them for things like theme or to try to set a setting better. Like I think about uh, my story in Fragments, and I, I wanted to use all all animals that you would see naturally in a small town in Saskatchewan. Pretty much, you can they're everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just it just adds to this theme of everything that you're going to see in a small town of Saskatchewan, versus us, uh, having them all humans and point out, oh look, there's a deer and a gopher. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely an interesting experience, and I mean that's one thing I like suggest. That's why I suggest writing inside and outside the fandom is just. Because the more you do it, the more you notice that there is a distinction between doing both of them. There is a difference. It's it it stands out, and like even it, just reading some of the more classic quote unquote furry works will give you perspective on what sells well in the mainstream versus what sells well on furry, and those are two very different things. <clears throat> I mean, in. In general, I would believe that the mainstream focuses more on the animalistic characteristics of anthropomorphic beings, and we focus more on the humanistic characteristics because we as humans want to be the animals, and the mainstream uh, from the outside look at these characters as being animals first. Yeah, I like how a lot of people just... It doesn't have to be species use or anything, it's just... You put on the the furry faces, and they just enjoy the story more because, on on one one part it's relatable, on another part it's just something more enjoyable or understandable or just interesting to them, just because you have this slightly different dynamic than normal people. Yeah, like you you take something like Redwall, which are little animal people that stand on two legs, like kind of like Zootopia, going here's a fox, look it's on two legs. And we go, hey, look, there's a person who's a fox. Yeah. And that changes the dynamic and how we tend to write those characters. There was a question that was flitting around the internet years and years and years ago, and it's why do we find anthropomorphic animals to be as visually stunning as we do? And then it also went into why do people, you know, find them attractive? And Why of, do we like their babies better than ours? One of the... One <laughs> you noticed <of> that? <laughs> one of the explanations that was pointed out was they, when a furry character visually makes an emotive action, like smiling, surprise, because it is a human emotion on an animal feature, it is that much more apparent as to what they are feeling to the human eye. You are very, very set on, okay, this fox girl is having an orgasm. You know she's having an orgasm. It is that much more powerful because it's not a human. When it comes to, and I think that is where it comes into writing, is when you're writing an anthropomorphic character, you have a lot more tools in your toolbox to express certain emotions, certain feelings, certain things that are going on that you wouldn't have if you were writing a human character. And thus it makes your characters a lot more emotive than they would be if they were just people. And I think that could also be one reason why you're going that route, writing furry stories rather than outside the fandom. 
I mean, case in point, one of the stories I had had a cockatiel character. The number of times his crest came appropriately into play was amazing. The number of times he did little parody things that my lovebirds used to do when I was a kid. And it was just, wow, I get it. This is awesome. Good choice. Well done. Uh, I I think it's important to not discourage people from writing stories, even if it's with furry motifs. Writing furry is different than writing non-furry. I think trying to write furry outside the furry fandom is setting yourself up for failure. But I, write, write it how you want it. Like If you want to have a bunch, uh, have a huge knitting competition and you think it'd be funny because it was spiders, because they, they can kind of knit, go for it. Even sure, you could replace the whole cast with grandmas. But... <laughs> I don't think it's really fair to say don't write furry for the masses because... You never will learn unless you actually put the effort in That's to true. try what and I, you want to do before finding out it doesn't work. And I could be wrong. <clears throat> That's the other thing. Is you, you could, you could be next. very wrong. Yeah. Like, just look at Fifty Shades of Grey. Nobody would have guessed. <laughs> yeah. So then what, what do you say to the people that get criticized for writing stories that have funny animal people in it? They're all zipper backs and could be replaced with humans. Well, you're entitled to your opinion. <laughs> My mind would be, look at your other reviews. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you have other reviews. Or just don't look at your reviews. That's the other bit of advice. Yeah, that's that's fair. People are going to have their opinions. And, I mean, if you get to look at your story and go, well, this is... It, I, ha- I hate to say that this requires some validation, but it sort of does. Because you always need an outside perspective to prevent your own natural biases but you know if somebody's calling out your character as a zipper back going hey this isn't good enough well it's not good enough for you that's you, your own bias yeah and you have other people saying well this is this is great or you know good either way it's it's all about who you're looking to please and if you're not looking to please that one particular person then don't worry about it there's there's been novels that we as fangs and fonts have sat down and talked about off screen where they're not our cup of tea. We, to we, put it lightly. To put it extremely <laughs> lightly. And we will sit there and have a, you know, some coffees or some alcohol and we'll bitch about the stories and whatnot. And, but the and, fact is... is well, to be fair, when they don't have good species choices, it does make it easier to <laughs> rip on them. Like... <laughs> But when it comes down to it, we these some of these stories, some of these books, are some of the more popular furry writers. And they are, have a clear fan base. And it's not our cup of tea. If I was to write a review for the books, and some of them I have written reviews for, where I've given one star and flat out stated point by point why the story was not a success for me... That's my personal opinion. You don't you take it with a grain of salt. And the fact is is that if there's people who enjoy it, sometimes that's what you have to pay attention to as an author. I've had people criticize my stories, but I've also read the positives. And it's just it's one of those experiences that makes you a better writer. I think one of the other main points I want to touch on with that is <clears throat> so long as you are attempting to make this writing better by including details you feel are important to the story, that's fine. That That's awesome. 
that's more effort than most people put into their stories. And, you know, it, it's always about improving. It's not about being good right off the bat. And if you can get a little validation along the way, well, then that's great. But people are entitled to their opinions, good or bad. And your job as a writer is to push through those. You're welcome to criticize their own stuff. <laughs> yeah, or take those criticisms and ask, well, do you agree with this? Like Again, I still think, going back to our first episode, it's important to ask, why am I using these characters? Why am I doing this? And, you know, if the best answer you got is because I like chinchillas and I wanted to have the main character as a chinchilla. Congratulations, okay. that's a valid reason. <laughs> then, right on, you crazy star. Well, if I'm, someone doesn't like it, it's pro- it may happen. You will probably get it criticized. Will happen. You will get criticized that your chinchilla has nothing to do with chinchillas at all, other than saying, with the name tag, I am a chinchilla. Or chinchillery, chinchillery, chinchinchilla. <laughs> <laughs> but that, so you, you're just not hitting to those people that crave your, crave the story to have a little more meaning for their species. And sometimes that's me. Other times, I'm still going to enjoy your story. I don't know about you guys, but... Well, just to go on a completely different side note is... And I think we mentioned this on actually one of the mid-range podcasts is... It's no different than someone who decides to make their main character an elf or a dwarf mm-hmm. or a cyborg. They have a reason for doing it. It could be something as simple as, oh, that's cool. Yeah. I want to write a story about a cyborg. Why magic? Because magic is cool. Get over it. I can definitely take out my own anthology there and point at the stories like, I think these ones use the species very well. I think these ones were a little more just zipper backs, but I thought the story was clearly good enough, which is why I made it in. Like, was your description, were your characters enough to add to the story, whereas regular human people would not? I think I've also seen anthologies in other books where because they pushed so hard, so very, very hard to make sure that the species had meaning and the anthropomorphs had a reason to exist, that it almost... The stories are boring because now the... Uh... The stories weren't boring, but the theme just became just grounded to the dust and your variety. You lost so much variety, I think. Because all the stories begin to get repetitive. I think people put too much credence on this particular subject at times. Like... So long as there was an adequate effort made to make sure that these characters somewhat resemble the animals they're resembling, congratulations. It's probably good enough. I think we're all pretty much in that mid-range where we want to see them. And we want to see species with a purpose, but they're not necessarily needed. If you write us a story that where, you know, the species has huge meaning that I, that, you know, this person is a rabbit because of this and all that, that I cannot change that species one bit, your story is probably incredibly strong and looking incredibly good in my slush pile. Yeah. You know? And I mean, and I've, and I had stories in the science fiction horror and AP where very much like your story, Roland, two shots of happy would not have worked with other species. Oh yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Very, I still like that one. Very, very much species were very centric to that storyline. Big and, brash lion and a meek little mouse. So. Yeah, exactly. Like, unless you kept with that dynamic, you couldn't really do it any other way. And I mean, and I've read stories like that, and I really enjoy stories where that's the 
part of the point is the fact that you know you couldn't switch out the species or at least not easily that's automatically a step ahead in my mind yeah i think like certain genres if you start shoving that down people's throats you're going to get too far i'm sure if i if i did it on on inhuman acts i would have 50 percent of my stories would be about predators eating prey yeah you know like look at zootopia <laughs> i i think that's just start it starts being like well where's the rock i can cling to so that the story makes sense and the same that you know with fantasy stories either if they didn't exist and they're not a monster yeah then maybe they were some sort of magical construct or in sci-fi they were uh, a genetic experiment by humans to be slaves or uh, a companion or there there has to be a point where you know just be free to make what you want yeah yeah there, there's still going to be stories and 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 uh movies and everything that has animals in it just because they can put animals in it and then there's going to be other ones where it's like let's center around it animals why do redwall have animals because I'm going to take a shot in the dark and say he didn't want to write a standard fantasy story about various fantasy things happening. It's just more entertaining to have them be mice. Why was Mr. Toad and all them animals? I have no idea, because it would be entertaining. I'm not sure on that one. I think, like again, is it because it's a character? Like a children's book? I don't know. Write what you want to. Yeah, you should always, always write what you want. Not yeah. because someone tells you to. I was gonna say, I've, n- I've never been exactly sure why it has to be anything like one of my biggest regrets in my life off and on is that when I was in college doing my first or second year of fine arts I was showing my dad my best work and one of his questions was why do you just draw anime and animal people this wasn't even the stuff I was drawing in class this was just stuff I was drawing on my own because it was my best and strongest work and that killed all of my artistic endeavors. And sure, I go on to writing now, and sure, I can always go back and try to pick up the pen. But there was no reason. I enjoyed it. That's why I did them. And I was good at it. And the same thing applies to writing and anyone listening to this who writes furry or writes any other genre-specific stuff. If you like writing fantasy and you enjoy writing fantasy and that's your thing, then write fantasy. Experiment with other genres, sure, but sometimes you have to do what you enjoy. Well, there's there's more to furry writing than just having people not be zipper bags. <laughs> Beauty's in the eye of the beholder, so it is what it is to you. Thanks for sticking with us tonight. Thank you for sitting with us. Thank you for listening to us to talk. What do you think? What do you look for when you write? Actually, I really do want to know. What do you look for when you read furry fiction? When you sit down and you read something that's a furry story, inside or outside of the fandom, what are the things that you're particularly looking for? What are the things that are, as a reader, your expectations? I mean, every genre has it. There's certain expectations in horror. There's certain expectations in science fiction and fantasy, so on and so forth. What are yours when you read furry? Tell me so I can sell more books. Roland, where can people find us? Fangsandfonts.com, facebook.com, slash fangsandfonts. Furfinity.net slash Fangs and Fonts, I think is a thing. Uh, <laughs> at Fangs and Fonts is our Twitter handle. You can email us at Fangs and Fonts at gmail.com. Email or us. Or bug us individually on Twitter. That yeah. also works. Yeah, or you can bug us on Twitter. At. You have to find those. Yeah. <laughs> we, we do enough cross posting that it's easy. <laughs> hey, listen. Hey. Right, buy you. my book.
Thank you for joining us this weekend, week, and good night. Goodbye, everybody. Good night.